Bandwidth for August has been provided by Cashfly, the fastest, most reliable CDN in the business. Cashfly delivers all of our content here at 5x5, and they are the best. Check them out at cashfly.com, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y, and let them know that you heard about them here on 5x5. I'm recording. I'm also recording. Me too. Here we go. Three, two, one. We recorded this episode on August 6th, 2015. This is On The Grid, episode 127. This week, we talked about the traits that make a great designer and the traits that make a great leader and whether those conflict. Here we go. Let's make a podcast. I agree. I'm glad we're in agreement. Dan, do you third the motion? Yeah, but just one podcast or can we make a few? Andy has to go on a trip. That's why we're recording early tonight. We definitely can't make a few. It's hard enough to keep Andy to an hour. We're not making multiple. <laughs> yeah, let's not yeah. go to more than one. I feel yeah. like we shouldn't have to vote every time. Don't we sign on at a certain time for a reason to record a show? Why do we Why do we have a vote every single episode? Because this is a democracy, Matt. Okay. Trying to be a dictator, just get rid of the vote. Dan keeps trying to make this a sandwich, but I say we make it a podcast. Sandwich does sound pretty good. Mm-hmm. I would like a sandwich. I'm slowly being See? converted over to Team Sandwich. Matt always baiting me with food. This is bullshit. I didn't bait you with anything. I just told the listener what you always vote for. Yeah, food. Duh. <sighs> How are you guys doing? <laughs> oh, you know, last day in the office for the week for me. As we mentioned, I'm going out of town. Going to a wedding because everyone's getting married now that we know. Mm. See, I had to go to a wedding a couple of weeks ago and I have to go to a wedding again in a couple of weeks. Yeah, and same here. People, that's the thing people don't tell you about growing up is that you have to start saving up for plane tickets for all the people that you know who are going to get married. Or it's good to have friends, but also... See, I was going to say maybe you lose some friends. Yeah, I know. Can't you just Skype into this stuff at this point? How, how are you supposed to give a drunken speech on Skype? They can just cut you off. There's no uh, yeah, that's stumbling fine. around the room and knocking cables over. I mean, I'm pretty sure that's the point of showing up to a wedding, right? Uh, probably. Dan, you strike me as the drunk best man. I wouldn't know. I've never been a best man. But you're from the right place to be a best man many times. <laughs> you should have been a best man like 17 times by now. I've been a best man twice already. My girlfriend is from North Carolina. She's been a uh, bridesmaid about 17,000 times. Okay. That's uh, quite a few times. Give or take. I think the reason to go to a wedding is either to give the drunk speech and knock over some tables or mm-hmm. to run in when they say... Unless there are any objections and scream, wait! I've always wanted to do that. <laughs> I've always loved Todd. I don't know if that's ever happened in real life. Oh, it has to have happened in real life. Come on. This is like from the last episode, those CO2 knives. No one's ever fought a bear. No one's ever actually objected at a wedding. That's just movie stuff. Mm, I bet it's happened at some point. Otherwise, where would we get the ideas for the movies, Matt? Everything that's happened in movie happens in real life at some point. That's the thing. It might be purely created by screenwriters, yeah. such as like, you know, like a stuffy business lady who falls in love with a real dumpy guy. Or stuff like where they bring back dinosaurs and then turn it into an amusement park. That's that's slightly more realistic, but I see what you're saying. Yeah. Wait, that's more realistic than us. <laughs> Did you say a stuffy lady? Yeah. Yeah, you know, like uh, like a real beautiful but uptight lady falling in love with a Kevin James or a Seth Rogen type. Stuffy is not a... Uptight? Is uptight better? Uptight makes more sense. Very business suit lady. I think you would describe her by her unbelievable attributes that end up being with Kevin James. I mean, Kevin James could definitely be with a stuffy lady, but he... Unlikely that such a rotund gentleman would... We shouldn't... I'm not even saying this. I'm just going to (laughs) stop. Don't make fun of fat guys, Andy. Is that what you're doing? Uh, No, I wasn't. No, you're going straight for the gut, man. I I would never. (laughs) Just eating my salad over here. I mean, I think we can agree. That uh, Kevin James, not going to pull the most attractive people from the... I mean, this, this is all... This is like a minefield of uh, <laughs> social mores here. Because, you know, we're talking about... Uh, the, of course, anybody can fall in love with anybody. Let's go ahead and say sure. that. 
Sure. Now, now that we've gotten that out of the way, certain people are more likely to fall in love with other types of people. Maybe that, uh, you know, look somewhat like them. Or in their same strata of uh, symmetry. I mean, there is something there, though, about how, about how every actress in a show has to be stereotypically and traditionally beautiful. Otherwise, you don't get to be an actress in a TV show. Mm-hmm. And then if you're a man, you just have to be anything. You could be. That's mainly the joke, is that like yeah. the guys can be real schlubs, and yeah. then the women have to be really beautiful. But also, women aren't allowed to be funny on TV, so they have to be real, real uptight. A very funny joke about how women guys, are... Guys, you can't be doing this. This is crazy. This is basically The Simpsons, just for people. I was going to say, yeah, everyone's Marge Simpson, basically, as you're describing. Yeah. Pretty much. This is going to be on TV tropes. I got to read about That's it later. That's what TV wives are. Except for, actually, the one, the one show that does allow it, Always Sunny, the lady does get to be a dope, too. It's beautiful. America. Mm-hmm. No, I think the real conversation tonight is going to be, I think there is something about the idea of what anxiety and nerves mean in the design world specifically and for designers uh, as a career being a designer and and matt i know you're in kind of the new situation uh that i've been in for a little while now which is uh, having to having really it's it's kind of being in charge but it doesn't really matter if you're in charge what really matters is that there's no filter between you and the gritty reality of Mm -hmm. the world you're living in i think that's true for people that run big companies as well as it is for people that are freelancers right like if you're if you're if there's nobody above you to insulate you from the world you kind of get this exposure that you're not used to and, and i have this kind of theory which is not backed up by any actual data just by my anecdotal experience that all the great designers i know have a, i shouldn't say struggle deal with extra demons in that position than people that are not designers that i've seen what does that mean? I, uh, so I'm, I'm with you on all those things. I definitely, so I'm now in a place where previously I was a place where I didn't have the filter between me and clients in the design capacity, but now it's just pretty much every capacity. I have people to help me and, and you know, I have like partners to talk about the, the part where we send estimates or proposals and stuff as well as design feedback. But generally I'm talking about design. I'm talking about money. I'm talking about timing. I'm talking about uh, everything that would go into a project uh, without a layer in between. That's very true. But I'm, I'm interested to know what you, meant, what you meant when you just said that. Well, do you notice that your coworkers that are at your same level but are not designers seem affected by the situation the same way you are? Yes. Uh, they're also, you know, it's developers, but I think it's very similar. Similar job, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's just that I, I think... so. Step back a little bit. The sure. I think it's important to recognize, as we have on the show in the past before, that many people seem to think that success, being a good designer or a good developer or a good insert X here, means that you would be good at running a business to do those things, which I can say is really not the case from what I've observed from <laughs> our clients and other people that we know in the industry and from ourselves. Um, running a business is a unique thing in and of itself that you can be very good at doing without having any of the practical skills to do the thing that you're actually providing. Uh, and that skill set, I think, is very favors people that have both a lot of confidence, which I think designers have a lot of confidence. I think we're largely an arrogant <laughs> bunch, well. uh, which I don't mean disparagingly. I mean that we 
like to think that we know what's going on because it's kind of our job, right? We've, we've said before in the show that like understanding a situation and a problem is a huge part of your job as a designer. So we like to think that we know that. Otherwise, we're not doing our job well. So I think we have the confidence. Um, but it also requires this kind of... <sighs> recklessness is the wrong word. Uh, but it requires a... Uh, in addition to conf- in confidence in your own skills and understanding, it requires a confidence in the world's ability to kind of resolve itself and just work itself out, uh, which is what I have none of. Um, and, and the best sort of... Uh, most practical example I can draw of this is we have on occasion in the past uh, taken it upon ourselves to organize an event, uh, some fairly big events, maybe like 100 people. And this I found to be the most stressful, impossible task uh, because the way it worked was like we had speakers and we had sponsors and we had vendors and we had a location where it all had to be. And I the way that I work, which is very thoughtful and careful, which I think is the way that a lot of designers are, end up working or work instinctively, was to kind of like make sure that everything lined up and then get everything confirmed. But the way that everyone I was talking to was working is they were like, okay, well, the, the speaker was like, just let me know where it's going to be and when it's going to be, and I'll tell you if I can make it or not. And I was like, okay, we'll figure that out. And then I went to the, uh, the location that where it was going to be, and they're like, all right, well, let us know when you want to talk, and uh, we'll see if that works, and they let you know if that's good for us. And I was like, all right. I went to the vendors and they were like, all right, you have to let us know five days ahead of time uh, how many people are going to be there. And I was like, <laughs> okay, well, we're going to do RSVPs for, it was like all these things where I clearly just had to, at some point, tell somebody, all right, yes, we're good. We're going to do that. Even though I had no actual guarantee that every other piece was going to fall in place. I just had to know, like, it will happen. Or if it doesn't, we'll figure it out. Um, and that kind of uh, boldness, I guess, is something that I have observed people like myself and like other other the really good designers I've met, uh, lack that kind of conviction because we know how many things can possibly go wrong, and we are <laughs> concerned about the uh, the fragility of the sort of house of cards that we're building. Uh, and this can be an event, this can be a company, this can be a contract with a client, this can be anything. But when we're navigating those systems, I found that I myself get much more wrapped up in it, both emotionally and. Uh, in sort of like trying to figure out the details, then some of my coworkers are just like, eh, whatever, it works out, it works out. Um, so I didn't know if, if that if you felt the same way, Matt. Yeah, I think I have. Maybe I have a little bit too much of the confidence part where I think it's all going to be good, or like I'll jump into it. Um, but I also can put get myself into a spiral of anxiety where one little thing will set me off, and then I can replay that in my head about a thousand times and think, oh, here's okay, here's the way it's going to go wrong this way. Here's the way it's going to go wrong this way. Here's the way it's going to go wrong this way. And part of that makes me feel like I'm doing my job of like preparing for the worst should anything happen. Um, but for the most part, I'm pretty sure that's just pointless and I'm not doing myself any favors anyway. I mean, do you get yourself there where you're like, well, I'm going to worry about every single thing. And then you realize, well, even if I worry about it, it doesn't really change the outcome of it. Oh, yeah, that's, uh, that's my main move. So basically, like when I become aware of a new way in which the whole world could fall apart around me, mm-hmm. which happens from time to time. I will be totally focused on playing out all those scenarios and figuring out all the ways that could possibly happen and hypothesizing what I would do in the situation if that happened and how we respond to this and figure out all those things. And once I feel like I've exhausted all of those possible options, uh, I feel better usually and I can get back to sleep again. <laughs> but until I've done that, yeah, like, like you said, Matt, a little tiny thing can just kind of set you off. And I, I think this is probably, you know, if, if we thought this was just a thing that only applied to people that were running small companies 
wouldn't be worth talking about because that's a really small chunk of the world. Uh, but I think this is something that applies to a lot more than that. Like I said, I think it definitely applies to people that are doing freelance work. I think it probably applies to anybody doing any kind of project management um, where one little thing can make you realize that the system that you've built up around yourself is just very flimsy. Uh, and it, there's no guarantee that everything you've done in the past will continue to happen. Uh, and what happens is like, for me, sometimes I'll, I'll lose my like, cool, calm, collected nature, which is my normal, like normally I would say I handle stress very well from observing other people around me and how they handle stress. I tend to just be like very rational and let's figure out what our options are. Let's go through these steps, blah, blah, blah. Um, so what happens when something goes wrong is sometimes I will lose that cool and just be like, everything's horrible. This, everything's going <laughs> to fall apart. Uh, here's all, I know all the ways that everything could possibly go wrong and it's going to happen for sure. Uh, and when it does, there'll be no recourse. And then the problem won't solve itself, but eventually I'll just think some more and come back around and assume my normal way of going about the world, which is kind of like taking everything as it comes and just slowly solving problems as they come up. Uh, and nothing is solved. It's just that my attitude is different and I feel totally better. And that's the way that this happened for me. I don't know if this is true of either of you, but every time we went through like a gate of growing the business, yeah, I, I had this exact same feeling. And the feeling only went away just when I came to terms with it. It never went away because the problem got solved, right? So when we, uh, you know, first big client project, right? The first big proposal to go out the door to get signed off on. And all of a sudden you have this big proposal. You're supposed to do all this work. That feeling immediately. Like, here's yeah. all the things that can go wrong. Here's all the reasons you might not hit a deadline. What if someone gets the flu? Uh, you know, all these things happen. And I worry about it, worry about it, worry about it. And then eventually I'm like, well, if it happens, we'll deal with it, blah, blah, blah. And then everything is fine. And then we deal with it. And then no longer is that a fear, right? Now we send off giant proposals. They get accepted. And I just go, eh, okay, because we just keep going. Um, so like, I've, I feel like it's like a matter of conquering these demons as you go forward. So there's, there's I that. always think of this as like the threshold of stress. I like, I like that you have a different term for it, but I have this in, in my own head. I have, I have every step I've ever been through where it's like, ah, now I can achieve a new threshold of dealing with all the stress. Mm -hmm. It's never, I think when I was much younger, I thought that um, stress just goes away. Uh, but in fact, it's just, you now know how to cope with it much, much, much better. And then when that comes up again, you never have to worry about it. Like I can remember getting, getting my first design job ever. And like, I can remember one weekend where I was supposed to get an estimate for a project on like a Friday. It was just for like printing something and it never, and the client said, I, I absolutely need it this Friday. And it didn't like the printer just didn't send it to me. And I spent the whole weekend worrying about it and call like, first calling and calling and calling until I realized that no one was going to pick up because it's Friday evening. It wasn't going to come. But the whole weekend, just like m pacing around my apartment, being nervous, not having any fun, not doing any sort of relaxing or sleeping. Uh, come Monday, I got it. I sent it. I realized no one, uh, the client wasn't in the office that weekend anyway. They pretty result was pretty much the same. And now that now I will never, ever worry about something like that again. Yeah, and that's the important part to me. The important part is the realizing, okay, this did not kill me, and now everything will be fine. Because uh, to me, like, I don't think of it like you described, like, you know, working your way up this, like, ziggurat of stress, you know, <laughs> new levels and, like, leveling <laughs> yeah. up. Um, it, doesn't, it doesn't feel like it's more stress. Like, the stakes are definitely higher, practically. Mm. But, you know, the stress that I felt the first time a freelance job in college started to go wrong... Uh, is just as bad as the stress I might feel now if I think something is going to unravel with our business, right? Uh, like it doesn't feel any worse because it's higher stakes. It's the same 
the same alarms are going off in my brain. Um, it's just that every time I kind of make it through a gate, and I'm like, okay, that's the thing that, and it, and for you, like you're describing a thing that like kind of went wrong, right? And ultimately, it wasn't that wrong, but like you know, this, this quote didn't come in. Yeah. For me, the the biggest gate I remember going through in recent times was the gate of hiring other people, and it was like, okay. There are a million zillion things that could go wrong when you hire somebody. A billion of them. Lots of them will be our fault. Some will be someone else's fault. Some will be no one's fault. And the stakes are enormously high as far as I'm concerned. Uh, if you care about people, the stakes are very high, uh, both for the business and for the person you're hiring. And there was a ton of stress for me about that. And, you know, it wasn't like anything went wrong. We didn't, you know, hire the wrong person. No one, like, stole all of our company secrets and went and worked for our arch nemesis or anything like that. Uh, it, it's just everything played out normally and there were problems and we dealt with them and there was nothing sort of dramatic. Uh, but that was just, you know, the first time going through that, it just feels insane. And <laughs> that never goes away, I don't think. And I'm wondering how many gates there are to go through. It feels like a lot of it is driven through fear of inexperience. Like, I mean, this isn't even something that's exclusively just to like running a business or anything like that. It's like even for myself going through my career or anybody that else that kind of just stays in-house, it's the same old thing where you could be in one position and if you're given new responsibilities you've never had before, it's not like you have a manual or any assurance in yourself that you're doing it the correct way, if there even is one. Some companies do have manuals. Well, yeah, sure. You know, it's having to go through that process of saying like, there's a potential that I'm doing this completely wrong and I'm not going to know until like the moment that it happens. Like there's the end of a project, you could say like, okay, either this thing is going to go through well, or this is going to go blow up in my face, and it's going to be my fault. You know, like with hiring too, like if you've never done it before, and suddenly you're put in a responsibility that you have to bring another human being onto the team, and it's, uh, you know, kind of on your shoulders to make sure that you have the right fit, uh, that they're going to be comfortable, this is the sort of thing that's meant for them in their career. And having to put all those pieces together, and if, you know, that's your first time doing it, like, like there's not going to be a whole lot of cues up front of whether or not you actually did your job right, you know? And, like, even if you, uh, like, like how Matt was talking about this whole, you know, ascending the uh, ziggurat of stress, you know, if you do that in your career where you go from, like, a normal designer to a senior or to, like, a director, once you're given those new responsibilities, it's very much in the realm of like, I don't know if I'm actually meant for this. Like, I don't know exactly what I'm doing, but I'm going to do it. And we'll just kind of see what happens. Well, actually, what's interesting about that is you mentioned like the, the kind of like, you don't know if you made a mistake until it's done. Like, I feel like there's a lot of opportunities, especially in our job to like, do your work, be totally confident in doing your work, then hand it off. And then have plenty of time to worry about if you did something wrong while it's in production. Oh, sure. Or something. Like, uh, because then that's, that's not lack of confidence in yourself even. You could be like the most confident person in the entire world. But then it's your lack of confidence in everybody else. And, or just not knowing what they're capable of. And allowing that, that will allow you to spiral out of control if you want it to. Yeah, yeah. While the thing is printing, while it is in development, while it's actually being made. Whatever the, whatever the thing is. You'd be like, you can sit there and just think, did I... Spell that wrong? Did I put the wrong <laughs> spec in? Is that it did two inches, not millimeters, right? Like you could do that for a month if it's going to take a month to do. Yeah, yeah, and the, I mean, there's there's those things, and then there's what I think are much more terrifying things. Uh, like if you're in a position of management where you have folks underneath you, and part of your responsibility as a manager is career development. It's the same consistent terrifying fear that I have 
you know, I have somebody working underneath me, I'm thinking like, am I putting them down the right path? Or am I just like, are my opinions of where they should go actually putting them moving in the wrong direction? And that sort of stuff too, that like, if you're trying to do that for the first time or for the first few times, and you don't really have a baseline to go off of based off of your own experience of like what works and what doesn't, then there's definitely those, like, there were definitely nights for me that I would just stay awake. Like, am I really fucking this up? That's the sort of thing where I kind of feel like you're not going to get a whole lot of cues. It's more stressful when you're handle something that has to do with somebody else's well-being and their career path and kind of like ultimately their adult life. So hiring someone, same thing as hiring someone. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and the thing that is important to me is that the people that I've observed that seem to be really good at running a business, organizing an event, being a leader of some sort, they move through these gates as if they are nothing. Like they will tread into the unknown with no hesitation, which if you're putting in a positive light is extremely courageous and putting in a negative light is extremely reckless. Yes. Uh, and I think that there are, you could very easily levy both of those uh, words against these kind of actions. And some, like some people, you know, start some startup and promise all these people, all these great things and sell them on the great idea and give them a chunk of the sort of uh, business 2% for their, you know, founding role as a d- developer or whatever. And, you know, the thing tanks in, you know, a year. And to me, like, I could never walk into a, like, job interview with a straight face and be like, you got to take 2% of this company because in four years you're going to be a millionaire. And that's why I tell these people. They walk in and they tell them that. And I think mm-hmm. they honestly believe it, most of them. Uh, but <laughs> sometimes that's okay. And sometimes it's done in a way that is reckless and I think shows a, a near like psychopathic uh, lack of understanding for other humans and lack of empathy. Um, This is hitting a little close to home right now. When you say these are the people that are best at running their businesses, like, I don't know, the way I kind of think about it is like, how many times do you proofread that before you send it? Like uh, zero times seems totally reckless to me and a hundred times seems completely pointless to me. And I don't quite know where that line is. Like, like is a reckless guy, the guy who just like doesn't check anything and just says, I'm sure it was great. I'm sure it was right. Like, I don't think that's, that's not the real story, right? Uh, I mean, I think that's part of it. Like, Really? Well, yeah, yeah. So, I mean. Or is that just the facade of it? Well, I think I mentioned in the show briefly before that one of the things I did not expect about starting this business, and it makes total sense when you think about it, but it just never occurred to me, was that we would get to know very well a bunch of, like, super rich people, right? Like, a lot of our clients are, like, independently wealthy, have sold multiple companies, like, enormous giant houses all over the country. Uh, like, we know, like, a bunch of super rich people now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and by rich, I mean, you know, successful in the way in which capitalism in our country measures success. And the from observing a lot of these people, it is amazing how much of this nameless quality I'm describing they have, where they're just like, we're doing it. Doesn't matter what it is, we're doing it. I'll go get the first round of investment, even though I've never done it before. I'll go hire the first 20 people I've never done it before. I'll go do all the things. I'll deal with this threat of someone suing us even though it doesn't matter like they just like plow through the world in a way that is so shocking to me as somebody who thinks about every step carefully um and the whole reason i think this is an interesting topic for us to talk about is i really think that careful thought about each step is something that i've observed specifically in designers and the designers i admire the most are some of the most careful sometimes cripplingly so sometimes in a way that really holds back their career but I know them to be incredible thinkers and incredible designers that are just, 
you know, this, this thoughtfulness has kind of run amok a little bit. Um, and so I think when you're in a position like Matt, you and I kind of are, the fact that we're expected to kind of be both of these things uh, is, is, is a challenge, right? Like you're setting up these proposals and, you know, somebody that is in the sort of type of person I'm describing, this like business person or whatever, uh, they'll set off a bunch of proposals. They won't think about it too hard. They'll <laughs> certainly won't worry about it. They're just going to blast it off and they're going to take that number and probably double it just to make sure they cover all their bases. And, you know, and meanwhile, you and I are probably like, all right, well, we got to make sure we get this as low as possible so we can, you know, do right by the possible client we're going to get. We want to make sure we get the job. We're going to make sure we answer all the questions. And like, we go over the top and crazy. Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't know if at the end of the day, the world rewards that at all, right? Like the person getting those six proposals can you tell the difference between one that was made by somebody like us versus somebody like this business person I'm describing? So I think I often find, I oftentimes feel a conflict in myself between these two modes of being. Yeah, I mean, I think it's true that like the nitpicky attention to detail is a great skill to have when you're, you're getting into the work, but it's uh, a money-losing proposition if you're spending all your time nitpicking things that no one else cares about. Uh, I mean, I guess you could even say like, did you spend too much designing the just a invoice or something stupid? Like <laughs> we used to send out, I used to make all of our invoices in InDesign. That's what I'm saying. I mean, that's what I mean. I thought that was the only way to do it. And then it took about, I don't know, eight months. And I was like, this is stupid as shit. I have to <laughs> copy all this stuff over from this other thing. And then I have to do the math manually and triple check it because InDesign is not going to automatically do math for you in a table, at least not to my knowledge. Uh, so and the, yeah, the world doesn't reward that behavior. You're not going to get paid more. They're not going to add a little bit extra on top of that invoice because it looked great. They're not even going to think. They're not even going to think. Oh, this company is more professional because of how good their invoice looks. Which is what every designer thinks is, is what they're going to achieve, right? Yeah. Everyone thinks you spend time designing your business card or your invoice to make it look really nice and snappy. Everyone's going to think they're dealing with a great company. But here's the deal. Lots of big, very professional companies, their business cards and invoices look like shit. That's not an identifier of a professional company that, does, that knows what they're doing. That's an identifier of somebody that cares a lot about how things look, which is a different thing. Just the other day, I gave uh, a designer I respect a lot uh, one of my cards, which, you know, we, I, we've been talking about like, oh, we're going to make really fancy cards. They're going to be like this. And I, I printed maybe like 100 that are very cheap on pretty cheap paper. And I just needed them for an event because I was like, I just, I need something so I can hand my, hand my email out if I need to. And so I was like handing it and being like, eh, this is, uh, it's a temporary one, but it's, it's like a business card is a business card. I just need your email address. Thank you. I feel better about that. Okay. Yeah, sure. You're a very well-respected designer and I think you're great. I'm really glad you said that to me, but it's true. That's just the way the world operates. And the things that your design professor told you about attention to detail don't necessarily apply here. Right? Well, I mean, it kind of does. It, you just have to... To a degree? Yeah. I mean, you have to just change your mindset where if the, the attention to detail is what people look for, not how well it looks on a piece of paper. Dan makes a very good point. And actually, but I also think there are, I also think there are professions where it probably does matter. Like, I think if you walked into... NASA. Like, what if you walked into the world's fanciest restaurant and the menu looked like garbage? You might be like, I don't know why I'm paying so much money for this. Like, I think there are situations where that does matter a lot. And obviously, those are probably some of our clients sometimes. So... I get that. I get why people would, would even want us to pay attention to those things. But more often than not, you might be disappointed by it. Andy's invoice story. Yeah. I mean, and honestly, my, uh, my coworkers at the time, uh, you know, we've talked in the past about how I kind of have, when I say a thing, people assume that, you know, it's right. <laughs> it's a blessing or a curse. Like, you know, I move with a little bit of confidence. So I was like, we're doing invoices this way. They were like, okay, you're doing it. Great. 
And but they were all like, "Why are you doing that? That doesn't make any sense." But no one really questioned it because I was doing it, and I made it seem like this was really important for our business. So they were like, "All right, he's good. He's on it." And then at some point, I was like, "This is the worst." They're like, "Yeah, we don't know why you're doing that at all. That doesn't make any sense. No one cares." <laughs> Something else I've noticed, Matt, is that as technology moves forward, it seems there are more and more tools that are dedicated to helping these types of people that are able to just plow their way through the world. And you know what? Squarespace is the best example of one of those tools. Because it's so easy. It's easy to create a beautiful website, blog, or online store for you and your ideas. Yeah, you just go do it. You don't need any any skills. You don't know anything about HTML. You don't even know anything about how the web works. You can just go and exert force of will style your uh, your vision on this website and Squarespace will make it happen. Well, there's one thing you need. Well, you need to use the offer code from your favorite podcast. I was going to say you need a very small amount of money because oh. it starts at $8 a month yeah. and you get a free domain if you sign up for a year. You do need some money, but things cost money. Get over it, everybody. I think if you're going to run a business, I think $8 a month is a pretty reasonable amount of, amount of money to spend on your whole website. You got to spend money to make money. As Andy has said before, you can't pay Andy or I $8 to make you a website. No. That's just true. Do it. I'm not one of those people who says, we don't roll out of bed unless you give us X amount of money, but I, I don't roll out of bed for less than $8. So there is a number, Matt. We should just there figure out what number. it is. What about $20? Are we just going to do this game now? 100 bucks? Mm, $1,000. think we can probably figure out something for $1,000, Andy. Maybe not your whole website, but I'll make you a business card. How about that? Mm. A way too expensive business card. I'll think about it. Okay. I'm going to make Andy a way too expensive business card, and then I'm going to apply his logic of not caring about the details. I'm just going to write the name Andy on a piece of paper and hand it to him. <laughs> that would be the best business card. <laughs> you just have... And it, it's it's printed. It's printed on nice on nice stock and everything, but it's just yeah. a white card that has your name written in like pencil. Not like mm-hmm. sloppy style, like a kid would write it, but yeah. also not carefully, like just normal written, just your name on a card. And you say, hey, can I get your card? And you Do just... you remember my Merlin Mann story? Did I tell you my Merlin Mann story? Uh, you, I mean, I... I met Merlin Mann yeah. once in San Francisco. He was just sitting outside and I said, oh, you're like the guy from the podcast. I listened to, what was that, that Leon Laporte one a long time ago? I don't know. Mac, something about Macs. Mac power users. Mac World. Mac Break Weekly. Mac Break Weekly. And I said, oh, I'm I'm a dumb young 18-year-old. I have a business. You should check out my startup company. And I handed him my business card. And then he just took out a note card and he wrote Merlin the internet and he handed it back to me uh, in a really disdainful way. He really thought I was an asshole, which I was. God, but. I love him. I might meet him at XOXO. I'm, I'm trying to decide how to handle the situation. That's been keeping me up at night. Well, we'll see what happens. Anyway, Merlin also loves Squarespace. I know this for a fact. Welcome back to the Squarespace Hour. Tonight, we're talking about Squarespace. Matt, what do you think about Squarespace? I think sites look professionally designed regardless of skill level, meaning no coding required. I think they're intuitive and easy to use. I think Squarespace has state-of-the-art technology powering your site to ensure security and stability. And it's trusted by millions, some of the most respected brands in the world, and respected people, like Andy Respects Merlin. Mm-hmm. And I also respect Squarespace. Here's a fun game you can play. It's called the Is This Website Squarespace or Not Game? And the way you play is when you come across a website you like, you say, is this website Squarespace or not? And then you check to see if it is Squarespace, I guess by looking at the source code. Uh, it's hard. It's a hard game. So start your free trial today with no credit card required at squarespace.com. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure you use the offer code GRID to get 10% off your first purchase and show your support for On The Grid. Grid, like what you're on. Thank you to Squarespace for supporting 5x5 and On The Grid. Squarespace, build it beautiful. So, yeah, um, 
how do we, how do we, uh, where were we? What were we talking about? The, uh, th- that attention to detail versus just blowing through the world and saying I'm the greatest. Yeah, and I think there is, this is also kind of the root of probably like our frustration, at least my frustration, I won't speak for anybody else. My frustration with like the, uh, what I'll call the normie design world, uh, like, you know, designer news is basically the best manifestation of the normie design world. Um, you know, the people who made the podcast or the full process designer, that's your normie design world right there. Um, and it seems to me like those people are still just celebrating this weird attention to detail, which honestly seems to me like it was probably a leftover thing from back when going to design school meant that you were going to leave and you were going to get a job as a junior designer for some agency. Uh, and you were basically going to be doing the detail work as junior people do for the first four or six years of your career before you got to, you know, move up to real design. And so I think honestly, a lot of the detail oriented stuff that we're teaching people is kind of a hangover from that where it's like, your job was going to be detail oriented. And now most jobs are not that I don't think and I think most designers have this reckoning with the real world when they leave where they're like, Oh, turns out all the stuff I thought was important is kind of important. But what's more important is actually listening and having a holistic understanding of what's going on around me. And uh, some people just never reckon with that. And they're still in this world where it's like, I, I don't know what world you're living in, where this thing you're mad about is important. The more exposure I get to the world, I won't say the real world, because it's just the world, uh, the more I kind of have a tempered approach and am more careful and thoughtful about things. And people just kind of plow through stuff. It, it, it's, it seems to me like, like an indicator of a lack of experience, which is why I have such a hard time taking all the normie design stuff so seriously. Well, because I, I mean, I will say this, like the attention to detail stuff doesn't go away when I'm actually doing the work part, when I'm doing like designing the interface or whatever it might be. Uh, I don't I don't lose those things. It's not like I don't care anymore. I just do them because I expect that that's going to happen as opposed to like feeling the need to preach it because like, yeah, of course you would catch the details or else what are people paying you to do? It's not like that doesn't go. It's not to say that those things go away for me. They just don't feel like the things I want to spend all my time talking about. Is that also true for you? Or is it does some of that actually go away? No, I think a lot of it's gone away from me. I mean, the things mm-hmm. that we'll send to clients now, uh, if you'd shown me these things when I was in college or the first year of running the business, I would have been like, we can never send that to a client. And now I'm just like, yeah, we'll send this to a client. Who cares? We're just talking about ideas. It's the exact same as the business card thing, right? Like you have mm-hmm. an idea you want to express to a client. Uh, it's as simple as an email address on a piece of paper. Uh, <laughs> you could you know, sweat all the little details and make sure that your sketches are perfect and you send them over in a way that people can click through and see it. Uh, or you can just be like, no, this represents the idea. I don't care that the font anti-aliased weird when we exported it and this thing's not quite lined up. It doesn't matter. Just this is the idea. We need to send this across because the job of design is to talk about ideas and then we'll build it and it'll look great when we build it because it's going to be perfect then. But who cares about these details right now? Is that what you're talking about, Matt? Like you, you will, you'll still like be very careful about mm-hmm. every piece of correspondence, every little like uh, you know piece of paper or, or sketch that makes its way to your client. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, so uh, just that all. I just don't feel like talking about those things. Like I don't necessarily want to talk about them here. Yeah, you're not going to be like talking about how great it is to current things. Yeah, exactly. I'm not going to write a post about it because it just seems like obvious. It doesn't seem uh, like it needs preaching. But uh, I mean, I will say it like you do get more comfortable with the people that you work with, obviously, and you don't, you know, you, you 
find people that uh, you might send a more candid email to or like share a little bit more when you feel like they're on the same page as you. But if it's somebody new, I'm still going to kind of go through the process, make sure everything is very taken care of carefully. Uh, and it's more about if I learn that somebody's like a little bit more open to, to like a rougher idea so that we can move faster, I will do that. But I don't just assume it of new people all the time. Cause I have been, I have been in situations where the opposite is true and you're like, Oh, they work very differently. This kind of thing throws them off. If you don't pay attention to this, they're going to spend the whole meeting just talking about the one thing that's wrong. I, I've met plenty of people like that. Uh, and I've also met plenty of people in power who are like very detail oriented and will spend an entire meeting talking about like a typo on a page when it's not really all that important. You know what I mean? See, I don't think I've actually met any of those people. Maybe it's just coincidence, but I felt like that was kind of a unicorn of a person, the person that gets derailed by a typo in a, in a meeting or something. I would, based on my experience, no. Yeah, there are some very powerful people, some very rich people, like whatever metric you want to measure success. Uh, I think sometimes, I don't know if you can trace it to that ability to be like, to walk in a room and point out what's wrong and then leave and people go, oh, okay, well, we need to fix that. But that's kind of what I've attributed it to. Like, oh, well, they're just very good at like getting down to the point and pointing out what's wrong and then leaving. But it can manifest itself in ways that I think are detrimental. So I try to avoid them. But I don't know. How did you never approach this? What happened? You hired, I mean, you just you sent proposals to all the same person over and over again. Well, no, I mean, I, part of our like talking to a new potential client is us explaining that the stuff we give you is going to be very far from perfect because we don't want you to have to pay us to go through all that extra time to sweat these details because it's not worth your money. Um, so maybe we've just been lucky enough and set expectations well enough that you know, whenever we go into a meeting, I'm like, the purpose of this meeting is not to, you know figure out all the little things that are wrong with this. The purpose of this meeting is to understand if the general direction is correct or if the whatever. Um, but, but yeah, I don't know. I, I just, we, uh, we're really just not, you know, and I've gotten progressively less and less careful as I realized that, you know, when you are, and we're dealing with specifically software all the time, right? So we're talking about websites and apps. And if you spend all your time sweating the details on some design, right? Like some image, some sketch of it, uh, it's just going to be wasted because you're going to go build it again from scratch in actual code. So there's no reason to go all crazy all out there. All you have to do is do it well enough to express what is going to be built clearly to the person who is a stakeholder. Um, and, and this is a different, Matt, because, you know, a lot of the work you've done in the past, like you're working on a giant book where like the thing you are doing is exactly what it's going to press. And there your detail is very important because that is the final thing. And I would say we are very careful and detail oriented about that code we write in production environments um but that is not the traditional graphic design work that we're handing people but uh, i do think you've prepped people in a totally different way than i've prepped people before where you you're like you're almost weeding out somebody who might be who might feel like they need every step to be perfect uh whereas i feel like i've almost catered to those people i like telling them how much more expensive it is if they do that <laughs> uh, and then people tend to you know money is almost everybody's it's almost everybody's bottom line right so actually do you want to care about that what if somebody just says like i don't care i want to pay all the money that there is do you all of a sudden get really excited that you could care about every step and take all the time in the world uh, i wouldn't be excited about it i would still try and talk them out of it because nothing hurts me more than knowing what i'm doing is useless uh doesn't matter what it is if i know what i'm doing is pointless that is just totally crushing to me uh, so if I knew uh, I'm putting all this time, maybe these fucking pixels right, so this person just feels okay about it, even if they're paying all the bills, I would still try and talk them out of it because I don't like to do that. No, it makes me sad. I am really interested in the idea of like 
preparing someone in that way and like making sure because I certainly have tried to like you know sometimes you'll get a budget and you want to try to fit within it so you try to trim as much as possible so you can say okay well we can sometimes get you mean every time <laughs> or every time whatever every time you get a budget every time yeah so i'm saying the attitude is the same you're trying to trim as much work as possible so you can say like okay we can get the final product done with as are we saying as little of the process as possible i feel like you're not cutting out all the process you're trying to like cut out all the fat time you're trying to say like look you're not going to review it for two weeks you're going to review it for a couple of days and then you're going to tell us what you think about it or something and you're saying and you're going to say well look we're going to give you a presentation really early it'll be rough but it'll get your it'll get your feedback faster rather than us sitting on for something for two weeks coming back to you and you saying you don't like a single thing yeah much more of a second thing i don't care how long someone takes to review something whatever uh, as mm-hmm. long as we plan for it it's fine uh what's important to me is that i would prefer to spend zero time doing any design work that is in preparation for corresponding with a client Mm -hmm. Uh, like all the design work i do i would like to be totally efficient and be necessary for the building of the software and no more if possible Uh, and usually there's a tiny bit more that we at least have to do but you know in the past i used to work at another graphic design studio and you know half the work we did would be in preparation for the presentation and the other half was the actual stuff we were designing but then it was all the time spent (laughs) finding all the inspirational images and putting together the mood board and getting all the slides perfect. And this one's a little bit off. Re- go and re-get this image and re-export it at a different size so these pixels don't look weird. And like, I get it. I get why that works. But to me, if you're hiring someone to do that, you're basically paying someone to like ease your concerns. You're not paying someone to do a job. Uh, mm-hmm. you're, you're paying them as like your personal concern uh, easer yeah uh which i have no interest <laughs> in being for anybody i don't need to be anybody's graphic design therapist right like if you are concerned that your company is not going to be successful we will help you fix it we will not design you a beautiful presentation that makes you feel like you're some big shot established thing um so so yeah th- that that's my metric right like i want to do as little work as possible to have to make this work and i found that if we prepare people correctly the amount of specificity that is necessary to build something it's the same amount of specificity that's necessary to get sign-off on it from a stakeholder. Actually, mm-hmm. usually you require more specificity to build it because most stakeholders are unconcerned with technical details of implementation and some of those details need to be fleshed out before you can really start putting code to other code, code to, code to text files. Yeah, like <laughs> sure. Like I've been uh, working in the same sort of process that Andy's been working on for a while now. It's probably because we've both been working in software for so long. Uh, and it's just like, it's a mentality where you start off with as little as little as possible and then just build up fidelity a little bit by little bit. But it's while the client's there as often as possible so that, you know, one, one part of it, you get an understanding of what's going on in their head of what they need for their business. But at the same time, like you're just trying to get buy-in and, uh, like, like I could start off most meetings with just people working together on a whiteboard and there's, there's no deliverable that we bring in we're all just trying to get all the ideas out or we do mind maps or or whatever it may be and you know you just kind of build up from there and it's not so much of a concern on selling them on uh how good the design is going to be at the end it's more like just trying to figure out what the hell you're going to build and also trying to get the details that's not only for design but also like for development you know if they get something Mm -hmm. you're like good ideas up front of what they need to build, then they can start working on things on the back end that don't necessarily need design or even just like rough cuts of what's going to be in a view or whatever. So it's, mm-hmm. it's much less of a mentality. Like for me, if I'm going into a meeting, not with a client, but you know, like whoever I'm working with as a stakeholder, uh, 
in the office. You know, it's more of just trying to understand the problem and then uh, design is one part of many that are just trying to figure out what the hell we're going to make at the end of the project. I, I feel like it's something I've harped on in the show before, but it, it bears repeating. If you're working on a big project, uh, and this is definitely true of software, I can say for sure. I imagine it's probably also true of, Matt, you can maybe answer this, of a big wayfinding project or a very big publication or sort of book you're working on where lots of people are involved. Mm-hmm. And you're a designer. Your job is, what you design is not the final product, right? Like I think yeah. some people have this illusion that oh, if I sit here as a designer and, I'm att- and I have my attention to detail and I make sure all these buttons are exactly 10 pixels apart from each other and this grid lines up perfectly and all the sort of shadows are flawless, then I designed a great website. And it's like, no, you made some instructions for someone else who is going to ignore most of those things that you did and you're going to get mad when they build it wrong because they didn't pay perfect attention to all the things you know how to pay attention to Mm -hmm. Uh, what you are doing is you are a communicator you are providing instructions to the people that are actually building the thing who are also actually designing it they're just designing it basically to your specifications Uh, and you are communicating with any stakeholders to make sure that the thing that is getting built is what they expect and anticipate and what's going to sort of help solve their problem Uh, and if you get caught up in being perfect on every little detail, you are almost certainly failing at the job of effectively wrangling all these different points of contact to make sure that everything is communicated accurately. I I guess it's just meaningful to me to recognize that I do have these two parts of myself. And for a long time, I didn't think of myself as a careful or thoughtful or introverted person. I thought of myself as this big, bumbling, idiot extrovert that just kind of plowed through life like everyone else did. Um, And I think as I've become a more experienced designer and thought more about these things, I've come to embrace the fact that actually I am probably fundamentally introverted. Uh, It's just that when a job requires that someone put a smile on their face and greet people and, you know, be that extrovert, I'm able to do that. Uh, But I don't, it's, it's, it's work for me. Like it is, that is not my natural state. My natural state is not the person that is confident and blazing a trail and plowing ahead. That's Mm -hmm. just something I can do if I need to. And it's, it's exhausting. (laughs) So exhausting. Uh, maybe we're all there. Like, I feel I, I really like doing that sort of thing, but I was definitely the shy kid growing up. No doubt about that. It's just a thing. It's just a skill you develop, I guess. Being good at talking to people, being good at or being confident or whatever. Uh, it's a thing you learn how to do. Yeah. And I guess I guess I guess what we're saying is certain people just are, are you saying the most successful people are born with it, Andy, and they just that's their nature. And that's why they're so good at running a business or being a leader of some sort and the uh the skill part that we the reason we got into it where we like doing the work part is not really consequential i think i once heard someone define introversion and extroversion as an introverted person is somebody that recharges alone and expends energy in social situations and a extroverted person is somebody that recharges in social situations and expends energy alone uh, and if that's the working definition, I have to think that there's an extremely small chunk of the population that is actually extroverted, uh, mm-hmm. but those people do end up, you know, running businesses and having this incredible, weird resolve where they're just like, everything's going to work out. I know it is. 
and it doesn't 95% of the time, but they still know it's going to work out. Uh, they, they, they don't care if they've read the studies about how many of X fail. They just, you know, it's, it's this weird kind of attitude shift that uh, it seems like it would be detrimental as a designer in your career. And f- also on the flip side, it seems like the skills I aspire to have as a designer make it harder for me to be a person that is running a business and making decisions like that because they're fundamentally conflicting. So why do we do it? But I also like being, I like being in charge. Isn't I like it being, fun to be in charge? I like being responsible for my own time. I like... I worry so much that I take it for granted. Making decisions. Uh, I like all those things. There are things that stress me out about it, but the reverse... I, th- I think so far, it's a very short period of time. Uh, maybe Andy can tell me, tell me better, but I think I like it better than the opposite, where if you feel like you don't have the power to do something, you're just stuck. And that is, that is maybe the worst feeling to me. So maybe it's just better than the alternative. I don't know. Honestly, I've barely had any experience with the alternative. Uh, like, I, you know, I had a job for was part-time during the semesters and full-time during the summers, but I knew it was such a part-time thing. And it was never invested in it. Like, it was my job job. Like, it was my career. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, I feel like it was just inevitable in a way. I, I do not know if I'm employable by somebody else. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm not convinced that I am. Uh, because I would either annoy the shit out of them by asking way too many questions that were beyond my realm of what my responsibility is supposed to be. Uh, I would have very little tolerance for what I perceived to be bad decisions, whether they were actually bad or not. Again, it'd be my perceptions of them. Um, I don't know if I could have a regular job. I feel like it's kind of inevitable that I ended up where I did. And uh, I think if, if uh, a bus with the rest of Friends of the Web on it was to run off a bridge in new jersey tomorrow my first thing would not be i have to go get a job with somebody else my first thing would be okay what can i do alone now that will make me a living because i think getting a job would be my last resort as i have concerns about how i respond to it dan what do you like what's your favorite thing this week this week it's about comedians in cars getting coffee. Oh, this is going to be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> Awkward. That response like, oh, this. Okay. Well, I'll see where this goes. Yeah. Love, huh? Like love, love? I mean. No. Let the man talk. <laughs> yeah. Don't be, don't be a tyrant. I'm going to make, I'm going to make you tyrant. feel how I feel. Okay. With Andy. No. So the reason why I enjoy, I might not love it. Uh, comedians and cars getting coffee so much is for a few reasons. One, um, it like it's a very silly reason, but um, the fact that uh, Jerry Seinfeld. Okay, so the whole show is it's a web series, and it's Jerry Seinfeld going and picking up another comedian or comedians in some cases, uh, taking them out to eat at some landmark location or not. Maybe it's just like a hole in the wall, and uh, they're just kind of talking about the past of their career, uh, like highlights things that they uh they do in their craft and one small detail first off that makes me enjoy it so much uh as dumb as it sounds are the cars uh because i just grew up from like my dad was a big car guy so i turned into a big car guy and just seeing him like tailor whatever the car is per episode to the person that he's picking up is just awesome uh because that's one of the things that just clicks for me i totally get like why he would choose that and and you know kind of get a giggle out of that. Um, and then a big part of it 
for me as well is just like watching two or multiple comedians sit and just talk shop. And it's just like a, a very casual conversation and just like listening to them talk about their craft and what they do and all their memories while doing it. And you kind of feel like they're like sitting right next to you. Like it's, it's a big thing for me just to kind of like hear the backstory because uh, you might hear that on stage sometimes and you might hear it in a documentary or whatever, but there's just like the way they set it up just feels a lot closer. And you're like, there's ones that really jumped out at me. Like there was the one with uh, Carl Reiner and Mel Brooks, uh, just cause I'm a big Mel Brooks fan. So just sitting them or seeing them sit down in front of a TV on like TV dinner trays, eating food, talking about whatever, or even like, like Bill Burr. Watching his was a whole lot of fun. Uh, I don't know. I really enjoyed it. I didn't realize it was a, a sixth season out, so I want to watch that. But yeah, no, I guess I'll leave room for Matt to either berate me or whatever he was about to do when I mentioned it. No, I was just giving you shit. I actually like it a lot. <laughs> uh, I think okay. I remember being a kid and watching like late night shows where it'd be like, a you know, the, fo- the host would be a really funny guy. Mm-hmm. And then they'd have like two boring celebrities on who would just talk about a movie. And then they'd have a comedian on for five minutes, uh, a person whose whole life is about being funny, and that's their that's their thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have them on for five minutes to do their bit, and then they stop the show. And I always remember thinking, like, you just had the two boring celebrities talk for like a half hour, and then you had the funniest guy come onto the show, and you gave him five minutes, and then you ended. Mm-hmm. Why don't you just talk to him instead? <laughs> and I, I think that's like the... You know, now we're seeing the dip in late night shows and the rise of the comedy podcast. Like I would say, what is great about comedians and cars is the same as say, like generally about WTF with Mark Maron, but probably more specifically like the first 100 episodes of that show Mm -hmm. where he just got all his comedian friends. And it was very enjoyable because it's people who spend their whole lives thinking about jokes now being in a room together, just getting to make jokes and have fun with it. Yeah. Um, Or like, I think that's what's charming about uh, you know, if you can, however many episodes of Pete Holmes show you can deal with, uh, the great ones are, are that. And that's exactly what's great about comedians and cars is a candid look at people who are very funny and are some of the funniest people in the world. And they get, get to go back and forth and play the game of making jokes. Yeah. Which is great. Yeah. And like, oh God, it's so cool too, to be able to see like, like there was the episode with, um, uh, John Stewart. And it's just like the two of them the entire time are just trying to make each other laugh. So it's, yeah. yeah. And it's just like, yeah, it's so cool because like if somebody's doing stand up, they're just trying to work the crowd. Like they're just trying to figure out what jokes are working, what aren't, and like keep the show going, get people laughing more. And it's kind of like a, like getting feedback is one thing, but it's almost like having a conversation where both ends are the comedian and also trying to get feedback. I don't know, it just, it, it, it's really cool. Well, actually, I will say too, like the, I feel like sometimes I feel this, especially when we do the show and, you know, we're just we're just worse versions of of a great thing. Yeah, we're just um, unfunny but, people. That, yeah, because we're not funny. We have to talk about the things that we know about. <laughs> but if we were much more funny, we could just talk about anything and it would be a good show. But we're not that but, funny. But don't you get the sense that, like, in a lot of ways, a conversation is just a game. It's like keeping a ball in the air. It's like a, it's like a fun back and forth and you can get good at it. Mm. And this is watching people who have gotten very good at it. And there are serious, more serious episodes, and there are people who tell jokes where they're just one-liners, and maybe they don't really have that. But I feel like, for the most part, a lot of what these people have is the skill of conversation, and they can play that game really, really well. It's fun to see people who are really good at it. I thought you were going to tear down a new one, Matt. I really did. I know. I was so... Like, I the was whole time so I was... Expl- I was so surprised by this pick. Why were you surprised by it? Yeah, really. 
I think I do have to say I do think there are better versions of this in the world. Yeah. Um, because Jerry Seinfeld's not the most candid guy. Sure. Yeah, exactly. This is this is my I'll tear down a new one. I mean, so I, I I think it's fine. I think it's a good happy ending, and we I can definitely write one because I do think the Mel Brooks and Carl Reiner episode is something special. So I'll probably write it specifically by that episode. Uh, but I do think that the show is like when I heard about it, I was like, oh, this is such a great idea. Like I'm so excited about this. And then in execution, it seems to me to just be five to 15 minutes of Jerry Seinfeld trying to prove that he's still a funny guy and not having a real conversation at all. Like, like this, this back and forth you're describing where like conversations, a game, like I cannot stand that where they, they're just trying to be funny and they're not trying to actually have a human conversation. And it feels like watching crazy people. Well, that's what comedians are though. This is like, I'm pretty sure. This is what's funny about, this is what's funny about Andy uh, is like, Andy, you are like, you need realness. You need it so bad. (laughs) I'm so good. I'm so okay with a show that is just like jokes like it can be like 30 rock i can i love 30 rock yeah. because it's just the whole point just fit as many jokes in i don't even understand why you like wet hot because it's is it just because it's pure goofball because it's, I mean, we it's like, genuine I like goofball, goofball humor like i, I don't yeah. like I, I can appreciate fiction you know like it doesn't need <laughs> to be you know? real i'm not even sure the only thing that you watch is fiction is uh, is like star trek yeah but that's really fictional i know but i don't maybe i don't know what the but because it's about ethos or something and that makes it better for you like this is if we want to have the here's i don't want to have the taste conversation now because i know you have to drive to new jersey but like it's so funny to me that like all you want you want everything to be like roderick on the line level of just like Two regular people just talking, being candid about everything. Well, here's the thing. And I'm, like, I'm cool with, with two comedians like a John Stewart and a Jerry Seinfeld just going back and forth trying to make each other laugh. That's really fun. Mm-hmm. Well, see, here's the thing. So, I mean, like Roderick on the line, I wouldn't describe as like a raw, real, authentic show. Because frankly, I think a lot of John Roderick's stories are inflated. He's the kind of person that seems like to, you know, he's, he's great at ta- telling a story. And with with no disparagement i think that people that are great at telling stories often know what little bits to embellish to make them much more entertaining than they would be if you just kind of relayed the facts uh so i don't get the sense that i'm getting like real shit from from uh (laughs) from roderick on the line um i i guess i like things that make me think like the reason i like star trek is again not because it's real because it's not but because more than being a tv show it's kind of like a political statement. Uh, like, there's a lot of weird political stuff in there. There's a lot of weird social stuff embedded in it. And mm-hmm. it is funny, and it is emotional, and you do get attached to the characters and all the other things that you know everybody else loves about fiction. Mm-hmm. But, like, the comedians and cars thing to me is, like, the shallowest thing because we're dealing with a celebrity who's not being themselves. They're being this character they play. And this character they play is not a great character because it wasn't written, right? It's not a beautifully written script. It's this person just pretending they're more entertaining than they actually are hamming it up or something uh and they're just talking about like these throwaway meaningless topics as sort of trivially as possible i think a lot of it is in the editing too like i think honestly the way the show is edited it seems like it's edited so that the way it's edited makes it seem like jerry seinfeld barely listens to people when they speak he just looks (laughs) for the next opportunity to say a joke like joke sniping yeah like like he's not even like all he's listening to is just the words so he can find the correct combination of words that he can turn into a joke mm-hmm. uh and that to me i don't know it's something about that that's just I, I've, I've watched a fair bit of it uh and and i did really like it when i first watched it and then more and more i came to realize like wait a minute this is just not for me 
Uh, for me, I'd rather, I love... listen, I'd rather listen to Marin or uh, Pete Holmes than I would watch it uh, and look at some cars on the internet while I'm listening. Just <sighs> go on Google and page through Google Image Search. Yeah. I, I do love just sitting back and waiting for your moment to strike with a joke. I think that's really enjoyable. Yeah. And when you can pull a joke out of conversation, it's really fun. I, I totally get it. I totally get it coming from Andy, but uh, I think there's a lot to enjoy about it. Yes. But good happy ending because the Carl Reiner episode with Mel Brooks is truly great. I will be happy to write a newsletter about that. All right. Deal. This has been On The Grid, episode 127. This week, I just want you to follow us on Twitter. Check us out at, at @gridshow. Gridshow will tweet when episodes are up. They'll tweet links that we think are cool and are on our subreddit, and then some weird combination of things that Dan, Andy, and I say. Check us out at, at @gridshow on Twitter. Thanks to Blanking Kit for the interlude music, Girlfriends for the theme music, and finally, thanks to you for listening. Until next week. Isn't that the story of Dan yelling every day? I don't know. I is Dan so. yell every day? Dan yells about this every day. I thought Dan's general demeanor is just impassioned, I would say. Mm. <laughs> yes, because people can absolutely hear that when I talk on the podcast. Well, that's the thing. Actually, so there's a really big difference between the way you talk on this podcast and the way you type yeah. in Slack <laughs> or Twitter. Like, yes. if you were to read your Slack or Twitter messages and try and map it to somebody on this podcast, you'd be like, where's the angry guy? I, I don't know where he is. Yeah. Somebody should be swearing all the time and talking about everybody's an idiot. Uh, but you're, you don't say much. You just say it all with your words. Well, yeah, that's... Your typing words. I was about to say... I know say. those words both spoken and typed. You know what I mean. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. Um, I don't even know how to respond to that. <laughs>